Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more for what it's worth on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and RaymondJames.com. U.S. markets experienced a pretty rough 2022. The S&P 500 fell about 19% for the year. But so far, we've seen a little bit more of a positive start to the new year. Even so, investors are really wondering whether a recession is right around the corner, and if so, how severe it might be. Here to share his outlook for the investing landscape ahead, I'm really pleased to welcome back our Raymond James Chief Investment Officer, Larry Adam. Larry, it's great to see you. Great to see you. Thank you for having me back. Uh, You are very welcome. Let's jump right in with what investors are asking about. They want to know, is a recession coming this year? What's your outlook? Well, sadly, I do think we're going to have a recession this year, and I think it's because of the consumer. And you got to remember that the consumer represents about 70% of GDP, and they're going to get hit on two different fronts. First of all, remember we've been talking about the fact that there was over $2 trillion in excess savings in everyone's bank accounts? Well, unfortunately, that's starting to dissipate, and by the end of this year, we think that will be fully evaporated. Second, I think you're going to start to see the jobs market start to stall, and wage increases are going to start to decelerate. So when you get hit from both fronts, I think that's going to cause the consumer who was pretty much spending freely over the last year or so, I think they're going to be a little bit more cautious, and that's ultimately going to push us into a recession this year. So sometime this year, let's talk about timing. When do you think it could happen? Well, I think it could begin as early as the second quarter, but I do think it's done by the end of this year. But from a historical context, just think about that. It's two to three quarters. That's pretty much a normal or an average recession because they tend to last about two to three quarters. Yeah, I think some of the more memorable examples that might come to uh, investors' mind are things like the Great Depression, the financial crisis of 07, 08, but those could be more outliers compared to what's historically average. Yeah, I do think that that's the case because when you go back to the great financial crisis, right, we had a lot of excesses, particularly with leverage and where real estate prices were. And I really don't see that in today's market. Uh, in fact, I think if we do have a recession, I think it's going to be mild. Uh, wait, how do I describe mild, by the way? I think everybody has these terms out there, but the way we define mild is the fact that if, how much does GDP actually fall from its peak? And we have the demarcation line about 2.5% okay, of falling. In aggregate, we think it's going to fall right around a percent. So if you think about it, that's going to be mild. And in fact, if it's plus or minus a percent, it'll be the third mildest recession we've had in the history of the United States since World War II. What do you think when it comes to a mild recession? What could that mean for the unemployment rate and for labor, labor markets? Yes. Well, so I think it's going to be mild for a couple of reasons. Okay. First of all, I think that this is probably the most telegraphed recession that we've ever seen in the history of the United States. And I think that that's important because if you see something coming, what do you do? You You tend to react, modify your behavior, and you're starting to see that happening, right? You're seeing some consumers starting to slowly pull back on their spending. You're seeing some businesses starting to lay off some people. So I don't think you're going to see everybody stop spending at the same time. So it's not going to be severe. Second, I think you're going to see this ongoing rolling recessions where you have small recessions in different pockets or components of the economy, but not everything at the same time. And, and just to give you an example, right now, I don't think there's any question that the housing market's probably in a mild recession, right? Existing home sales year over year have fallen 35%. What's the significance of that? That's more than we saw during the great financial crisis. If you look at some retailers, you've seen all the 
extra inventory that they've had, they're probably going to have to continue to discount. So there are some areas that are that are struggling right now. But let's look at some that are doing well. Airlines, right? They're packed. If you look at restaurants, they're doing well. If you look at energy, profitability is at a record high, and we've never produced more natural gas. And then healthcare. I mean, if you try to get anything done in the healthcare field, there's plenty of backlog. So some of that offsets some of that weakness. So we're going to have these rolling type of recessions, which means that as long as not every component or industry simultaneously starts to struggle, I don't think we have that severe recession. And then ultimately, I think you got to look at the Fed. The Fed has a lot of firepower right now. They've lifted rates north of 4%. If we were to have a pullback in the economy that becomes more severe, they'll have the firepower to combat that and hopefully stimulate it. So I don't really see a, a real severe recession unfolding, which I think is a positive. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Fed and the tools at their disposal. But I want to ask you more about this concept of this being, you know, one of the most foreseen recessions ever. You say that there's maybe some advantage to being able to modify. Maybe that helps keep it a little bit more mild. Is there also any component of it being that self-fulfilling prophecy of consumers are expecting a recession and that contributes to a recession? Yeah, I mean, that's always a fear, right? And, and it all gets back to the timing. If everybody simultaneously pulls back at the same time, you get a more severe recession, right? And remember that CEOs and owners of businesses are consumers. So it's really both stop spending at the same time. And I think that that's been one of the things that's really caused people to think that the recession had already occurred. Because when you look at confidence, you know, it's deteriorated quite a bit over the last year or two. And I think one of the things that I always tell people is that there can be a differentiation between confidence and reactions. And while I'm not really pleased with the fact that we were paying higher energy prices, we were I was paying more when I went to the store, the fact is that in aggregate, most consumers had the ability to spend. So while they didn't like it, they were still out there spending. But if that starts to dis dissipate and some of those dynamics that we talked about start to fade, that negativity could have bigger repercussions on the market and the economy. Let's return to the Fed. You mentioned that they are coming off of a string of pretty strong rate increases over the course of 2022. It was something in the neighborhood of 4%, 5% um, total. Now, normally during a recession, we see the Fed dropping interest rates. We saw that during COVID, the 0708 crisis, the dot-com bubble burst. Do you expect that to happen in the case of this mild recession, or do you think they just stay put? Well, our base case is that they hike and then they hold for the remainder of this year. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, first of all, we think that they're going to continue to hike till about March. That's probably, we believe, you'll see the last interest rate hike. If you look back historically, usually about six to seven months later is usually when they have their first cut. So just by timing perspective, that puts you very late this year, if not into next year. Then from a macro perspective, a lot of those incidents that you talked about, those scenarios, the great financial crisis, the pandemic, there was a sense of urgency, right? Economic growth was falling pretty quickly and the Fed had to react. I don't really see that happening as the decline is going to be rather mild. And then I think the Fed, because of some of the credibility issues, I think they want to see inflation sustainably closer to their levels before they actually start to cut rates. And I think that'll probably be, again, early next year before they'll want to do that. What does all of this mean for inflation? A mild recession, the Fed may be raising one or two more times and then staying put. What's your outlook for the rest of the year? I think inflation is going to continue to fall. And I, I mean, let's put some perspective on that. Summer last year, it was at 9.1%. 
Today, it's at 6.4% on a year-over-year basis. By the end of this year, our economist thinks it's going to be down to 2.2%. So you're talking a pretty significant decline. And the reason we think that is that across the board, in almost every aspect of inflation, you're seeing prices come down. And I mean, look, goods, right? Goods prices, you saw it during the holiday shopping season. That's going to continue as many different retailers have a record amount of inventory and they got to get rid of it. If you look at commodity prices, as we sit here right now, gasoline prices, fortunately, are cheaper today than they were last year. If you want to take a trip, I mean, you're probably getting them. I'm getting them. Starting to get these emails about incentives to get, you know, go on a trip, to go on a vacation. And then when I look at food prices, I know I get a lot of pushback on this, but sure, egg prices continue to go higher. But you are seeing avocado prices coming down. You're seeing beef, chicken come down. And people forget that when you look at the CPI, the inflation calculation, a lot of that is also based on prices away from home. And again, I'm a fast food junkie, believe it or not. But if you go to you know, the fast food places, they're starting to offer a lot more deals to get you into those doors. And when one does it, they all tend to do it. So I think food away from home prices are going to come down. And then finally, shelter. I know the statistics aren't perfect from a, a government perspective, but if you look at the underlying reality, and for that I would look at Zillow or Redfin, you're seeing prices now for rents today are slowly decelerating. So I think across the board, inflationary pressures are going to come down, and inflation is going to be you know, with a two-handle by the end of this year. Let's focus a little on domestic equities. You have written that your year-end base case for the S&P 500 is 4,400. That would turn out to be about a 15% increase over the course of the year. At the time we're recording, that's about 8 9% higher than where we are now. We're talking about a recession. It seems you know, maybe a little unexpected for some of our listeners to hear a positive outlook for U.S. equities. Where does that upside come from? Well, first of all, let's, let's do one thing. The market is a forward-looking indicator. So let's keep that in, in mind. Second of all, there's two dynamics that you need to come up with your target. You need to look at earnings, and then you have to look at the PE multiple. When it comes to earnings, we think that earnings are going to come in at about $215. The significance of that is that if you look on the rest of the street, because of the recession, there's a lot of strategists out there that think that that number is going to be well below $200. I don't think we go that low. And that's because you're already seeing it. Companies are starting to cut their costs now to try and preserve their margins, which will ultimately preserve that earnings number. So I think that 215 is a good number. Now, the multiple. Contrary to what other people tell you, most people think it's going to continue to contract. I actually think that multiple is going to expand this year. And the reason for that is that if you look back historically, what you tend to see is that the PE multiple tends to contract. Once the recession starts, it starts to expand. Why does it expand? Because it's looking forward to the ultimate recovery and then rebound in earnings. So that's point one. The second reason, if you look at interest rates, remember interest rates, the 10-year treasury yield was 4.5%. We think it's going to be at 3% by the end of this year. There's an inverse relationship. When interest rates go lower, the PE multiple goes higher. Inflation is not a friend of the markets, especially high inflation. But as I told you, I think it goes down to 2.2%. And historically, that's consistent with a PE that's north of 20. And then finally, coincidental with the last interest rate hike by the Fed, the PE tends to bottom and then expand rapidly from there. So my point is, contrary to what everyone's saying, that you're going to see further deterioration in the multiple, I think it expands from where it is today at 18 
up to 20 and a half by the end of this year. We've been focused primarily about U.S. markets, U.S. economy in our discussion so far. Let's look a little bit broader. What do you expect to see globally over the course of the year? Well, I think you're going to see a rebound in global equities, uh, both emerging and developed. When it comes to developed markets, my preference is still for U.S. equities over Europe and you know, Japan. The reason for that, if you look back over time, U.S. companies, number one, they're the most dominant companies in their respective industries. And U.S. companies over time have proven that they are much more efficient, productive, and profitable than their European and Japanese counterparts. So I like it for that perspective. And then keep in mind that the Fed is likely to end its tightening cycle earlier than the ECB. And the Bank of Japan is just starting to consider, you know, raising their interest rates. So from that perspective, I like the U.S. over those other developed markets. One opportunity that I do see unfolding this year is emerging market equities. And that's based on a rebounding growth. And I think this year will probably be the greatest growth differential that we've seen in emerging markets over developed markets in more than a decade. And that's important because better growth leads to better earnings, leads to higher prices. So that's why I like it. If you look at valuations, they're at a significant discount when you look at emerging markets. And then one factor I keep a close eye on, particularly with emerging markets, is there were a lot of bad headlines last year with the emerging markets, whether it was China, Latin America, et cetera. You saw a lot of money, investor money, come out of those markets. I think if we get a couple of good headlines, which I think we're going to get, that money's going to come pretty quickly back into the market and help those markets actually move higher. And just keep this in the back of your mind. People don't realize this, but since last October, the emerging markets are actually in a bull market. They've actually rallied 20% from their lows already. They're the first markets that have left that bear market, and I think that's going to continue. We know that every investor has a unique situation, different time horizons, different risk profiles. It's one of the reasons we always recommend they talk with their financial advisor. But looking a little bit more broadly, where are some of the opportunities that you see for investors over the course of the year? You talked a little bit about them in terms of global markets, but what else are you seeing? Well, first of all, I would say that the, the negative drumbeat that we've seen coming from everybody, I think is overdone. And as you can tell, I'm a little bit more positive because we're looking forward in the markets. And I think that optimism that we have leads to opportunities in both the fixed income and the equity markets. And when you look at the fixed income market, I think fixed income investors have gotten a gift from the interest rate reset that we've had. And just think about this, a three-month treasury bill, three-month treasury bill that has very limited risk has the same yield today as high-yield bonds had at this time last year. Wow. So think about that. Investors now can upgrade or increase the yield of their fixed income portfolio without taking that undue risk. And that's when, why when you look at our positioning, we continue to like the quality part of the fixed income market. So we do like treasuries. We like high-grade corporate bonds. We like municipals. And we do like emerging market debt. When it comes to the equity market, you know, I think this is a year where you're going to have to be a little bit more nimble and selective. Um, couple of areas that, that, I, that I like that's maybe a little bit more contrarian are technology and REITs, real estate investment trusts. And one of the reasons why I like that is because I think there's a, an uber amount of negative and negativism built into them. We do a survey every quarter. And if you looked at that, we had the lowest number of people actually like the tech sector that we've seen over the last four years. For REITs, it's the second least favored sector. But when I look at the fundamentals, which is what we do, there's a disconnect. And I'll just give you an example with REITs. When you look at REITs, real estate investment trusts, 
Last year, they had the third best earnings growth, about 11%, but happened to be one of the worst performing sectors, being down almost 30%. Why do I think that that happened? Well, I think when investors hear about real estate or REITs, what do they think about? They think about their homes, mm -hmm. which clearly are struggling, and they think about going to work every day at the office. And clearly that's an area that's had maybe not as many people in the office. But the reality is that real estate in the equity market is much bigger than that. It includes things like uh, infrastructure for wireless communication, so the cell towers. It includes data storage. It includes healthcare facilities. And it includes industrial parks that are benefiting from this whole move to e-commerce. And I think as more and more people understand that, and if in fact interest rates fall, which I think they will, I think that's a sector that could do very well this year. The other one is technology. And technology gets back to what I was saying before. You're seeing the, the, the constant, almost every day, companies laying off people. And that's sad from a hu human's perspective. But from a corporate perspective and from an uh, investment perspective, I think those tech companies are doing the hard decisions today to preserve their margins. And I think you could actually see some upside to their earnings as we go through this year. Larry, we always appreciate your perspective. If there's one piece of guidance that our listeners walk away from today, what would you recommend to them? Uh, I would put last year in perspective, right? And the reason I say that is I think people need to understand that last year was an aberration. And if you go back to 1976, 1976, last year was the first year that you saw both stocks and bonds down in the same year. It doesn't happen often. I don't think it's going to happen uh, this year. That would be one point. The second point, if you're in the equity market, you have to have a long-term holding period or investment horizon. And the reason I bring that up is that if you look last year, there were significant declines. NASDAQ down 33, the S&P 500 down 18. But if you look at their five-year average, so for the example, the NASDAQ, including that 33% decline, the NASDAQ is still up almost 11% over the last five years. Including that 18% decline for the S&P 500, it's still up on average 8.5%. So if you are an equity investor, you need to absorb those short-term volatile periods to actually benefit from that long-term higher type of return that investors can get. Our Raymond James Chief Investment Officer, Larry Adam, it's always great to speak with you. Thank you so much for your perspective today. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. Listeners, thanks for joining me. You can find more episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time.